What happens when there is a spiritual tug of war happening within you and your family thinks you should be committed to a psych ward where a ton of religious people start exercising you daily? Well, you try to tough it out and see what happens. Welcome to Cryptic Soup. I'm no Jane Fonda here, but I am ready to start exercising. Oh, wait, that's something else, isn't it? Your mother's in here with his cars. Would you like to leave a message? I see that she gets it. The power of Christ compels you! That the power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! On April 29, 1949, the Archbishop had sent a letter containing the following story of Roland Doe. This story is made up from journals, diaries, notes, and other accounts from those involved. Discrepancies are possible, but we will try to give you the information of all accounts in the most correct possible. <laughs> fucked up. I can't read. Well, you, you kind of uh, typed it weird. Yeah, I did. <laughs> all right. I'm just going to start this paragraph. Fuck me. <sighs> On April 29th, 1949. The Archbishop had sent a letter containing the story of Roland Doe. The story was made up of journals, diaries, notes, and other personal accounts from those that were involved. Discrepancies are possible, but we will try to give you as much possible information as we can from the account. And everything that we have provided will make it able for you to decide whether you think these events are true or not. Did you know that one of the first films to have an X rating but still be available in theaters in the U.S. and the U.K. was the film The Exorcist? It ended up being ruled as an R-rated film later when cuts were made, but originally upheld an X rating in cities like Boston, Washington, D.C., Chicago, and other big cities. So literally anyone under the age of 17 was not allowed in the theaters to see the film, even if a parent or guardian was present. I can't believe that the limit to that is 17 i feel like that's really i feel like that's young but i i grew up in a very i'm not gonna say strict but um sheltered (laughs) sheltered home well (laughs) if i saw the exorcist at 17 i'd be shitting myself i definitely saw the exorcist when i was under 17 i know for a fact oh my goodness of course (laughs) you did (laughs) as i am sitting here in my exorcist (laughs) t-shirt right i'm like yeah, I'm. This is my alley. I'm very excited for this episode. You're a hipster. I'm, oh damn it! I'm a hipster right now. <laughs> well, here's the thing. This film is said to be heavily controversial. It would cause members of the audience back in the day to faint, vomit, or even induce heart attacks. The 1973 film was based on William Peter Blatty's novel The Exorcist. When the film came out, up until 2017, it had held the record for the highest grossing rated R horror film, but it was replaced in 2017 with the remake of It. I've seen It. Not the original, but I've seen It. (gasps) You haven't seen the Tim Curry original? No. I wasn't allowed to watch something like that. Oh my God. That is upsetting. I sound really sad right now. 
Oh my goodness. I just really love that movie. Also, I really don't think that I would have liked seeing this movie in theaters when other people were vomiting. Oh yeah, you wouldn't have, you would have lost it. Side note, I have a irrational um fear of vomit. So the sound and everything. Kylie can't. Yeah. Nope, can't do it. The other night I was watching creepy things and I accidentally made a gagging noise and I don't think I've ever seen Kylie want to kill me as much as I did in that moment. Fear my palms instantly started. I'm my palms are sweating now thinking about it. <laughs> AKA this this film series would not have been up uh, up Kylie's alley. Nope, no thank you. Well, during the time of the film version of The Exorcist being filmed and also in theaters, there were protests. There were protests outside cinemas, theaters, everything mostly from religious groups. However, the author said that actually the point of the novel was to scare people into going back to church, to putting that normalcy back in their family life, their home life, everything. I can I can see the logic of that, I guess. It was he went as far as to say the novel was an apostolic apostle apostolic apostle. <laughs> okay, so if the word's apostle and I'm adding lick, apostolic. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Just sound it out. You'll be good. <laughs> An apostolic work that sold 13 million copies in the U.S. alone. A great success he attributes to the fact that it was divine intervention. I'm sure it was. I think it was just very edgy for that time period. scare the shit out of people so that they go back to church. <laughs> Sounds great. Sign me up. Well, the thing that was unexpected about that actually was the Roman Catholic Church was actually really supportive of the film. They even let the role of Father Dyer in the film be played by an actual priest that was named Father William O'Malley. They believe that they said the priests were the heroes of the story in that film, and the message of the film was that there is matters of the soul and si- that science and medicine just can't fix. Okay. That sounds like a really religious thing to say. No offense. <clears throat> no serious offense very religious thing to say so if you guys are not knowing what the exorcist is about keep in mind this is a religious based topic that we are getting on board with kylie and i still are going to make our stereotypical jokes humor things like that we are not doing at the expense of any person any specific religion or anything like that please understand that we are doing it for the pretty much way to get through such a heavy topic yeah also, I'm a big pussy, so like this, I've just been like dreading this. Kylie cracks this jokes episode. when she's uncomfy. Oh yeah, super uncomfy right now. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the case, and Kylie's already sweating bullets over there. Yeah, my palms, my palms are sweaty. Knees weak. Yep, arms are heavy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the film and novel were loosely based on actual events that had taken place in Maryland and St. Louis with the exorcism of a young boy in the late 1940s. I know you're right away going to come for me and be like, um, Reagan was a 16-year-old girl. First off, just wait till the end of the episode. We will get to it, okay? The story went like this. The year was 1949. Life was very different. The Great Depression had ended in 1933, and life was starting to prosper again. People were starting to buy new cars, new TVs, With these new things, a new hit in life came out. Soap operas, 
the minimum wage was raised to 70 cents an hour. A pound of bacon would only cost you 50 cents. Gallon of gas at 17 cents. And an average new car was only $1,420. I would kill for 17 cents for a gallon of gas right now. Oh, my God. Don't tempt me I to build a I don't know machine. where all of you live, but it is way too expensive here in Indiana. Oh, yeah. Don't like it. I drive to work, to home, and to Kylie. No yep. place else. <laughs> no one is allowed to see me because I don't have money for gas. A few more fun facts about this time period. The first Polaroid camera was sold for $89.95. The first Volkswagen Bug Beetle was sold in the U.S. The NBA was established during this time. Bruce Springsteen, Jessica Lange, Meryl Streep, and Sigourney Weaver were all born in 1949. Pretty good roster. So if you stuck through my crazy history lesson right there, let's start actually narrowing down where this story takes place. Hold on. I cannot believe how old some of those people are. I didn't realize that until now. And I was like... 72 years old. Yeah. <laughs> that was some good math. 72. Well, I only knew like about... I'm so bad at math. Just <laughs> everyone, I'm really bad. But my grandma is around the same age, so I knew roughly how old they were. And I... I just thought you were going to ask me like, some I questions, thought... so I did the math, because I thought you were going to ask me, how long ago did this case take place? And I was going to be like, 72 years. I had it in my head. <laughs> you can't preempt what you think I'm going to ask. Yes, That's not fair. <laughs> Save no, myself the Googles. Meryl Streep, and that's crazy. It does not feel like Jessica Lange is. I was watching no. American Horror Story literally like two days ago. Yeah, that's... I mean, I was not. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's crazy. They yeah. look phenomenal. But I haven't seen Bruce Springsteen lately. I have not either. Sigourney Weaver, though, she's doing, like, interviews and stuff still. Like, ugh, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Good job, people. Right? I mean, Botox, but still, good <laughs> job. <laughs> Living in a suburban neighborhood of Washington, D.C., called Cottage City in Maryland, was a boy named Ronald Hunklear. He's also referred to often as Robbie Mannheim and Roland Doe. Due to his young age, most people called him Roland Doe to give him a little bit sense of security. They're still not sure to this day if Ronald Hunkler, Roland Doe, or Robbie Mannheim are any of his real names. Many people in this storyline, their names were changed other than the priests. So for the sake of all this, we're going to go with Roland because I really like Schitt's Creek. Yes. <laughs> His family was a German immigrational family that was known to be part of the Lutheran religion. Roland was an only child, and he often spent most of his time with his favorite family member, his Aunt Harriet, which was his father's sister. Harriet also has a bunch of different names. She sometimes goes by Harriet. Sometimes she goes by Tilly. Sometimes she goes by Helen. Again, I'm going to pick Harriet because I really liked the movie Harriet the Spy as a kid. <laughs> or like Harriet Tubman or, you know. Nope, Harriet the okay. Spy. The girl okay. in the raincoat. <laughs> Harriet was a spiritualist who also had taught him many things throughout his young age about life, religion, and she also taught him how to use a Ouija board. Oh, well, that opened up his whole life to demons. So that's... <laughs> I will never. You could not pay me a million dollars to play with a Ouija board. 
I want to do an episode on Ouija boards really bad. I mean, we can do an episode on Ouija and boards. And during it, we will be playing with a Ouija no. board. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't even like that often having things that are Ouija board themed, like purses, mm-hmm. things like that. I have one Ouija board themed thing, and it is that snake that hangs. Okay, this sounds really ominous, but I have a Ouija board <laughs> snake that hangs across from my bed that Margie bought me. I don't like that. It sounds ominous, but it's not at all what you think. Well, I mean, I've been in your room, so, you know. And you didn't notice it. And See, I didn't it notice wasn't it. even there. Yeah. Most people notice the uh, giant spider hanging on the side of my wall. The or the real one. <laughs> <laughs> not hanging on the wall. Not hanging on no, the wall. No, my, my tarantula is in his cage, I promise. <laughs> or like his, his terrariums. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy watching him making sure he's not out of his he's little... He's not watching you? Yeah. <laughs> he probably is. Um, yeah, Void likes to watch everyone. <laughs> In January, Roland was 13 years old when Harriet had died. She passed away from unknown causes, but probably just like an illness or something. It wasn't an intentional death. There was no reasoning behind it. This was the first time in his life Roland has a had experienced someone close to him dying. It greatly affected him. Days after the incident, things were changing. Roland and his grandmother were the first one to notice things were going wrong. They had complained about a dripping water noise all the time. They said they heard this day and night, and they heard it everywhere in the home. So they decided to start searching the home. They couldn't find a leaky faucet anywhere in the home. They felt like the sound was emitting from all over the house, so they couldn't pinpoint where the noise was coming from. They chalked it up to a pipe in the walls must be leaking. Also during this time, Roland had started to talk about other strange experiences that were happening around him. The family started hearing scratching sounds coming from the floors or the walls of the home. They said it sounded like maybe rats or like a small animal was stuck somewhere maybe. But the thing is, is again, they heard it everywhere in the home and they could never find what was making the noise. They complained so much about this like rat noise that they even hired an exterminator, but he said he couldn't find anything that was emitting noise. (laughs) After 10 days of the noise being just consistent and the whole family being on their last nerve with it, it just stopped. As quick as it started, it stopped. And that, my folks, my folks, is when you uh, leave your home. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. I actually have um, a salesperson on speed dial. No big deal. We're selling the house. Yep. Goodbye. Here's the thing, though. When I said it stopped, it stopped for everyone but Roland. Roland said he still heard the noise. Don't like that. After three more days, the noises were back. But this time, they were no longer little scratches and little pitter-patters. They were full-blown footsteps, it sounded like. And they said that they felt like they could hear the person or whatever was causing these footsteps to be moving about anywhere in the home. And then Roland said things in his room were moving, including his mattress. How? Like, is it like moving? <laughs> like moving up and down or right. is it like just being moved to the other side of the room? Or is in- it like, you know, like wait next to you type of movement see i imagine more like he leaves his room and you know he made his bed his room is clean he comes back later and his bed's disheveled and his mattress is half pulled off that's how i imagined it or the whole like he's laying down and he feels like someone sits down next to him but there's Mm -hmm. no one there 
I didn't necessarily feel like the hovering like ghost movements or like a poltergeist. Yeah, that I didn't get that feeling. Okay. I got more of just like Out an of ominous force. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm not feeling ghosty. I'm feeling ominous. Okay. Roland's mother began to wonder if the strange things could have been directly linked somehow to Harriet's passing away because they kind of correlated in the timeline. She had asked for a sign in the form of Knox, which is very common in the whole spiritualist theory and things like that. Like if you think there's a spirit or something in the home, you know, ask for a sign usually involves knocking or a door. So she asked for three knocks. It was heard. (laughs) Got really, really stressed. It was heard throughout the home. Three distinct knocks. She couldn't believe it, even though she knew that she had heard it. She asked for another sign. She figured she'd try her luck and this time asked for four knocks. It happened again. The four knocks. Roland figured this was as better of time than any to whip out the old Ouija board and try to communicate with his aunt. Yep. Sounds great. Sounds like a great idea. Love that idea. I can't find a a flaw a hole in his in his plan with a flaw oh yeah no no flaws whatsoever (laughs) no red flags nothing just nothing we're giving you the green light you have the kachow sir (laughs) things were getting more and more odd after this event regarding roland's life when his family went to visit other friends of the family he was sitting in a rocking chair with his feet dangling and the chair began to spun spin around Another thing that people talked about was one time when he was in class, his desk started shaking and jerking around in the room, almost acting as if it was a planchette. So these aren't in his house. It's linked to him. Yes. And it's it's following him and other people are seeing it. There are lots of witnesses throughout the story. By the way, for anyone that doesn't know, a planchette is the piece that you utilize on the Ouija board, the almost triangular piece. That you put your fingers and hands on. Roland's family thought at this point they might need an expert to help him. And so they reached out to doctors and psychiatrists and as many of them as they could. They also had started to reach out to their local Lutheran minister, Luther Miles Schultz. But no one was able to help. The psychiatrists and doctors said that he was just a kid who's probably high strung. There's nothing wrong with him. They gave no diagnosis for anything. Luther was very interested in parapsychology, which is the study of psychic phenomena. He wanted to stay the night in the home to observe Roland and see pretty much what was happening for himself. He made claims that he saw furniture moving and that things were out of the ordinary. Roland also started sleepwalking really heavily during this time. I think Luther had seen some of that because that's the way that we find out. But his family also mentioned that he was very active at night. So I assume sleepwalking also. The minister knew that this was beyond his capability. So he suggested that the family seek the assistance of some Jesuits, which is the religious order of the Catholic Church that is normally centered in Rome or has the Roman Catholic belief system. The family had found the local Catholic priest named Albert Edward Hughes who was from the St. James Parish of Mount Rainer, 
and he was willing to conduct an exorcism at Georgetown University Hospital. All right, here's our first big discrepancy. This entire part of the story is a discrepancy. (laughs) Okay. So the story of Hughes' exorcism itself is a huge debate in the story for many reasons. It is the only part in the story that is not in the final diaries and journals that were ending up to build the story and like put together what happened during the Roland Doe exorcism. This was mostly known through hearsay and other journals written specifically by Hughes. Hughes was originally told he was not a credible enough person for an exorcist and that he did not have the church or the archbishop's permission to perform the task. The ruling was is that he was doing it not for the right reasons. He only wanted to do this because he wanted to be the person to be like, I fixed this child. Look, I did the exorcism. He was too young, too arrogant, and too brash. There is an actual rule within being a person that does exorcisms that says that you have to be of like mature age. And he did not qualify. There is also other criteria of how you can become a Jesuit and how you can become an exorcist. And technically, you're supposed to be a Jesuit to be an exorcist. And he was not any of these things. I didn't know that you could be an exorcist. Yes, I have found out many things in the past few days of research. I did not know everything about the Catholic religion. I still do not, obviously. But I've learned a lot of things that are very, like, small details that just really I didn't know. I never want to meet one. <laughs> just don't want to. They do have it. some wild stories, I bet. I'm sure they do. So, with this happening overall, it was ruled that he was not qualified. And that's another reason why this story leads to why he had to perform it at Georgetown University instead of in a church or somewhere more credible. Because also, they're usually done in specific settings. And he did it at a college. That's a little odd, right? So. I'm still going to give you the Hughes story, and you can decide for yourself if you believe it. After being denied, Hughes decided he was still up for the task, so he met again with Roland. He said Roland gave off the energy of something evil, and whenever he walked into the room, the room would feel cold and empty. Poor kid, man. He just can't catch a break. Yeah. During this event, they pinned Roland to a table put leather strap restraints on his arms and legs and began splashing holy water on him. That is not how exorcisms go about. Just so you know, there is a, there is a lot of steps to exorcisms and in movies, they do cut a lot of it out. I read the entire process. That is not at all how it goes. There's a lot of talking first Mm -hmm. and like a lot of prayer. There's a lot of steps to it. Mm-hmm. Well, this man just started blessing holy water and throwing it on him. Roland began exhibiting different signs that led to the theory of why he needed an exorcism. Supposedly, during this time, he started speaking Latin during the event. This is the only point in the story that is ever said that Roland speaks Latin. Now, anyone that knows anything about exorcism movies or exorcist itself, there are clear signs that someone needs an exorcism. It's like the McDonald triad of exorcisms. <laughs> And one of those things is exhibiting like abnormal human strength and or being able to speak in tongues or speak in Latin or be able to do things that defy your normal abilities. Obviously, Roland, as a 13 year old boy, was unable to speak Latin. So that's why this went about. But that was also one of the only things we knew about 
people that needed to be exercised at that point. So that also leads to the theory that maybe Hughes was making this up because that's the only time it's ever mentioned. I started talking really fast. So I needed to like take a break and calm down. I was getting really excited because I'm like remembering things. and <laughs> like I've oh, read I so much. I don't think you were talking that fast. Oh, I got a little tongue tied. It felt like. Whew. Okay. I talk really fast normally in real life. So sometimes I get really excited and I talk really fast on the podcast and I need to learn to slow down and just enjoy, enjoy talking. The ride. <laughs> enjoy the ride. Roland ended up slipping out of the restraints that he was put in and broke a bed spring from under the mattress while thrashing about in the bed. He ended up using this bed spring as a weapon and slashed at the priest till he ended up gouging the spring into his skin very deeply, causing to cut him from his shoulder all the way down to his wrist on his arm, and the ritual was put to an abrupt end. Wait, he cut himself or he cut the priest? He cut Hughes. Okay. So he dug the spring into Hughes' shoulder and then drug it all the way down to his wrist. That's a little gnarly. Hughes ended up needing over 100 stitches and lost the mobility of the arm that he was cut in. He was injured extremely deeply. Okay, like I said, we don't know if this story is true because along with this not being in the the like actual journal, this was the last like sighting and known thing about Hughes in the area. He kind of just dipped out. Oh, okay. No one can 100% confirm the story, the wound, or the events. That's a little odd, right? Yeah, I bet. Especially because if you have something like this gnarly scar and you lost mobility of your arm. Well, and he was all about helping this kid. So, like, why wouldn't he be the one? But also, if this kid just fucked your shit up, I can understand (laughs) being like, and I'm going to go now. But also being like, I'm surprised he didn't, like, talk about it later, you know, in an interview or something. Well, that could be explained. All right. Let me devil's advocate it here real quick. Let Let me banter with you. Let's say hypothetically, Hugh's story is real. You said, why wouldn't he want to talk about it later? But he just got stabbed, got hurt really bad. All these things happened. He lost the mobility. He lost the mobility of his arm. arm. Also, with this being said, he would get stripped of everything of his church relatedness. Mm. Because remember, he also did this of his own accord with no permissions. He basically like exiled himself from the church. So why not instead you just run away, start somewhere new and you make up a new story, you know? Oh, my arm I was born like this. Oh, right. my arm got hurt in the war. Oh, you know, something. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. So I mean, there uh, I'm not saying I believe it. I'm not saying that one bit, but I'm not saying I don't. Right. It's just part of the journey. <laughs> part of the ride that's that don't worry we'll we'll find a way to make that into like a sticker or a t-shirt <laughs> um february 26 1949 the family began to notice the scratches all over roland's body his mother again was asking for a sign when she noticed the word lewis was carved into his skin that's when she got the idea. It's a good idea to move. Oh, that that was the last straw? Okay. <laughs> well, she had family in St. Louis, so she's like, you know, I'll have a support system there. 
So she inquired, when should I move? Is there anything I should know? And next she noticed in his body, it said Saturday. So they moved that weekend. This sounds kind of like a joke at this point. Like, it doesn't sound (laughs) real. Why would you? I don't know why. Like, why is she going? I don't know. I don't even know what to say. How do I say this? Why, why is she taking she... advice? Yeah, from, like... like, why not just fucking move? She was nervous. She wanted Harriet's advice. Oh, okay. I, I forgot that that was, like, the idea that it was Harriet yeah. trying to, like, okay. And that makes more sense also why yeah. potentially it was going through Roland because Roland and Harriet were so close. Yes. One of Roland's cousins was attending the St. Louis University while Roland was starting to have more issues at home. His cousin had suggested that a different priest could maybe help out with the family. At this point, mother's Roland's mother, (laughs) my bad, reached out to the priest and told him the story of what was happening in their home and how it was starting to hurt everyone in the family by frightening them. I don't know. Wouldn't all the, you know, cuts across Roland be frightening too? Right. Like hurting. Poor kid. On March 9th, the bishop and Reverend William Bodern came to visit the home on Roanoke Road and see Roland to do a special home visit, which was very unlike what these two men would do. When they had moved to St. Louis, they moved to a really cute house out on Roanoke Road, and I thought that was kind of fitting for the story because Roanoke, that's all. That's my little quip about this. Bodern was a really well-known reverend for being super charitable and kind in the area. People often remarked that he had just a pure goodness within him. He showed up and was astounded at the sights of ungodliness he saw. The bishop and Bodern said that there were shaking beds, flying objects. Roland was growling or speaking in low guttural noises and voices. And the worst thing he noticed was Roland's fear and aversion to anything sacred. They say the events lasted from midnight till dawn and only ended when Roland had fell asleep due to a fit of anger and almost was in a tantrum-like child state. The next day, Bonarm claimed that he believed Roland was officially possessed by the devil. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, but like flying objects. This sounds like, uh, I was going to say a horror movie, but this just sounds like, I don't know what I need to say. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, Kylie, but there is a horror movie called <laughs> The Exorcist based loosely on the events. I'm never, of which ever going to see it. <laughs> Not once. Not ever. No, there's a really intense puking scene in it. You can't watch this movie. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It's... That's that's normal for exorcism, so I would never. Oh, no, this is that movie that made that neon green slime vom famous. <laughs> I like how you said vom. I like the word vom. I don't, I really I don't like mind it. it, actually. Bodern had asked permission to perform an exorcism on the boy in late February or early March of 1949. He, however, unlike the first story, was granted permission from the archbishop. On March 16th, the event was supposed to take place. The archbishop had asked if there would be a journal kept of all the events, daily happenings, and the entire scenario so that it could further help the Catholic Church 
and just kind of teach future exorcisms what could and could not be the outcome or how they happened. This is how we have most of our information today. During this time, Bowdoin learned how to properly perform an exorcism using knowledge passed down from the Roman Catholic teachings. The Alexians Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis was where this event would take place. However, the first attempt was considered a failure. I'm really surprised it happened in a hospital. I don't know why. Like, that seems like you're morphing the two worlds together. Okay, when you're thinking hospital, you're thinking hospital. Um, I guess I should state this is more of a mental ward. Okay, but still, that doesn't make sense to me either because it's like, the medical, medical science of one side and then the religion of the other so, side. So Reverend Bowden, Bowdern really believed in science, as weird as that oh, sounds. Okay. He believed that your mental health can be affected outside of religion. So he was an advocate for getting mental health and like getting that sorted out. He was okay with psychiatrists. He was okay with the study of medicine and stuff like that. He just knew his faith was stronger. Interesting. Okay. When I was reading and learning about him, I was like, that's great. Why mm -hmm. can't more people <laughs> understand? You're a reverend and you understand this. Like, come on. Exactly. He was very open to things, if nothing else. He at least understood or studied other things as well. So I think that is part of the reason why he was accepted. But also when they hear how violent other versions of this went, I think that's part of the reason it was done in a hospital. And because the family was getting a little nervous. Reverend Bodern soon realized he was not going to be able to accomplish this task all by himself. So he called upon the help of other priests. He ended up enlisting Walter Holleran as an assistant. I've heard it pronounced Holleran and Holleran. I'm going to go with Holleran. Because it sounds like hooting and Holleran. <laughs> Your reasonings are just on par today. <laughs> they really are. Holleran was supposed to be kind of a skeptic about the concept of exorcisms and things. He was a Jesuit, but he didn't necessarily believe that exorcisms could or couldn't work or that they were even needed. So that is very interesting to this whole thing. But he was technically just an assistant, so his job was more just to hold the child down or to make sure that the child stayed alive. That's a hint. Don't or like that. stayed safe. Nope, don't like that. <laughs> the two Jesuits agreed to officially perform the exorcism on Roland with the help of other assistants in late of March of 1949. P.S. Bodern also was fasting during most of this event of this whole storyline, which takes place from uh, January to April, the end of April. Yeah, I want to say that's about it. That's a long time. He was fasting on and off. And the reason why was because they said that helped get your prayer strength like more fortified while doing these exorcisms. So he did that. I, yeah, the other guys didn't, but he did. And he was the main person. So the men gathered at the Roanoke Drive early of March of 1949, where the exorcist people that were going to be performing at the actual exorcist witnessed scratching on the boy's torsos and arms. No, he only has one torso. 
boy's torso and arms. <laughs> I didn't even catch it. <laughs> it was so smooth. It was. He had burning welts on his legs and the mattress was moving violently with him on it. I imagine that is like him thrashing and the bed just kind of being part also of that. Also thrashing. Yeah. yeah. These were the same types of things that had happened in Maryland when the first exorcism was failed. It was during that time that Roland's personality was starting to separate into two separate distinctions. He was calm and normal during the day, but at night, after settling in for bed, he would start to exhibit strange behavior, including screaming and wild outbursts. Roland would enter a spaced out trance-like state where he would growl or make guttural sounds again. They said it was unnatural and not of the human nature. All of these details from Roland's story are part of the Exorcist film. So remember I said that they were going to take him to the Alexian's hospital? They hadn't done this yet because they were attempting a small at-home exorcism when all this began. They will eventually go to the hospital, but they hadn't approached that situation yet. It was more of just like an idea. We can go to the hospital if this first scenario doesn't work. The reason we call this the first exorcism of the event is because we don't know if the Hughes one was real. So quite often this one is referred to as the first one because it is the first documented one. The event was dubbed the battle with the devil and it was said to take over a week. During this time, there were different things that happened to Roland that had happened for the first time. One of these was that the number one was carved into Roland's right leg when one of the priests had asked how many demons are within him. Thus, we believe there was one demon within him. Then they asked if the demons would ever depart from within him. An X was then carved into Roland's chest. They didn't know if this meant 10 as in the days or like a certain time, like 10 p.m., but they assumed the X stood for 10. It was also said that he had a pitchfork-shaped pattern carved into his thigh that went down towards his ankle. And he had well over 25 cuts that would appear across his body during each exorcism. When you say cuts, like they're like actual like slash marks, blood. Yes. Like big gouges type of like you could probably use two to five stitches in these. Like if you see them in pictures and stuff. If you see the movie The Exorcism. Nope. Nope. The Exorcist. (laughs) You see them like on her face and stuff. You just see open wounds where it looks like she needs stitches in almost all these. They could maybe heal, but you're going to have some gnarly scarlies. Nice. This stage of the ritual had lasted for multiple days and nights. During this time, it was also said that he would sing songs. He sang Old Man River, Down on the Swanee River, and Blue Danu. In his normal state, Roland hated singing and was said to have a really scratchy, raspy voice. But during this time, he was high-pitched harmonizing with almost an angelic sound to it, they said. Now remember, they say that you do things you can't normally do. That's potentially what's happening here, as well as these were songs that Roland wouldn't have known. During the daytime, Roland would have no memory of the night before or these events. He was said to start talking about hallucinations of a hooded man following him around as well. No one else saw these hallucinations. 
Things did subside 10 days after the event of the X being carved into his chest. The family started to think that maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But then it returned. And this time it returned three days later with almost a vengeance. It was twice as bad, practically. Near the end of March, new levels of tantrums were approaching and Roland started cursing and spitting at the priests while shouting vulgar things to them. He would also urinate all over himself. His shouts were violent and sounded like a dog in an angry attack mode. He had a fiendish, hellish laughter, they said. His parents finally reached the point where they felt like they could not help him anymore. They also said that he would laugh every time the priest would attempt to pray. Yeah, that just seems right on par for this. This is the point in which his family finally took him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital because they figured he needed more serious treatment. His room was in a special wing of the hospital with locks on the doors and steel mesh barring on the windows. The journal said there were often things that he would yell at the priest that were vile and pure. He would speak of masturbation or obscene acts. He would laugh when the priest became uncomfortable or looked nervous. He would violently thrash again, and then he started urinating on himself again, but if given the opportunity, he would try to urinate on the priests. It would usually take anywhere from two to four men to hold Roland down. He would complain that they were hurting him the whole time, like almost any physical human contact hurt his skin. On March 31st, Roland said that the devil was within him and wanted to communicate. He asked for a pen and paper and wrote down that he was the devil and in 10 days he would give a sign to show that it is true what he is saying. The Roman ritual says to never engage with the spirit, so they did not press further into the topic and inquire what the sign could be. The family at this point began to switch to a Catholic faith base, hoping that that the unity could help them feel safer and more at peace. They almost kind of felt like if they understood and believed more of the Catholic religion, that these things would clear up because they're giving their all for it. The reverends asked if Roland had been baptized, and he said he had no memories of it. So on April 1st, they decided to do it. On the way to the church, Roland started to jerk the steering wheel away while his uncle was driving in an attempt to run the vehicle off the road. During the ride, it took three men to hold Roland down and calm him. He was going in and out of fits of rage, and during the time that he was acting possessed, the radio would go dead silent, but then when Roland would return to his normal self, the radio would work again. This was also the day they made a decision that on April 2nd, the next day, they would do a Holy Communion ceremony with Roland and his family, which if you know anything about the Catholic-based religion, the Holy Communion is a very big deal because it's the actual, you know, the blood and the body of Christ. They think of it as a very pure event that really stabilizes your faith. On April 11th, after his baptism, Roland was starting to do a little bit better, but he was still having night fits. Bowden and his assistants were visiting every single night, and during this night, when the men were praying, the word exit was etched into Roland's chest. I'm starting to also wonder... If these are carvings in his chest and like welts and stuff like that, are they just on top of scars, on top of scars, on top of scars? Because these are a lot of things all in his chest. Yeah. Well, and also like. How fast are they healing? Well, 
are they healing? And like, does it look like they're like just doing this? You know, like Kylie, we're a podcast. Oh fuck! <laughs> like a three-year-old is using a crayon. Okay. You know, just like like could it have been him? Is what you're asking technically? No, more like um, like. Are they just like looking and checking his body every two seconds to see if there's more or like is a word or did they actually see it being like etched into him? Oh, okay. And like, is it like an etching or is it like. So what you're asking is. A marker, you know. In the movie Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, (laughs) when they're all in the kitchen and they're watching Morgan Moonshine etch into the wall, you're asking, is that happening where they're physically seeing it happen? Mm Mm-hmm. Or do they just look and all of a sudden it's there and right. it's a finalized thing? Right. Or does it like happen over time and it's just like, oh shit, he's got another one. Right. And it's like coming to be, but it's not there yet. Yes. I see what you're saying. I have no answers for you, but I understand where you're, what you're asking. That'd be very interesting to know. So at this point in the storyline, we are at April 11th. And at this point, the reverends had been visiting Every single night and most days. So they are giving it everything. They are pretty much devoting their life to this event. So that's a decent chunk. This is months at this point. On April 18th, the Monday after Easter, which again, Easter is a very big thing to the Catholic religion. Roland awoke with seizures and was screaming in his room. This was the most violent day of all of them noted in the entire story. He was yelling at the priest, saying that Satan would always be with him. He was Satan. Satan was within. The priest began to lay holy relics, crucifixes, medals, and rosaries upon the boy. That night at 10.45 p.m., a new voice appeared from Roland in where he called out and said that St. Michael was helping to fight off Satan. For 10 minutes, Roland was hoarding his body and seizing up in the bed. Seven minutes later, Roland came out of the trance and said, he's gone in a childlike voice. The boy recounted how he had a vision of St. Michael vanquishing Satan on a great battlefield. This is how he described it. There was a bright light and there was a man wearing a white robe with long hair flowing in the breeze. He had a fiery sword in his right hand and his left hand was pointed towards a cave or pit type area below. The devil was standing within the cave area, surrounded by flames that Roland could feel they were so hot. The devil resisted and was trying to fight away St. Michael when St. Michael was just trying to banish him. The devil started laughing and mocking the angel. St. Michael looked at Roland and started speaking, but the only thing Roland could hear was the word, Dominius repeated. This made the devil and his helpers run away into the cave and be banished. There was a gate in front of the cave which began to contort and spell out a word. The word was spite. As the devils were running further away, Roland started to feel like something was being released from him. He felt like his some, something in his stomach had snapped from within him and was being taken away. So uh, another quick lesson here for you. Dominius means in the name of the Lord. And St. Michael is an archangel in the book of Revelations, 
who became the most known warrior in the battle of evil versus good. He became the healer of the sick, the guardian of the church, and he ended up vanquishing Satan, dubbing him the commander of the army of gods all in the book of Revelations. He is the most well-known and technically, uh, if you can use this term, iconic of the archangels. <laughs> and this has been your church talk with Athena. <laughs> my my family is uh my my grandpa and grandma are very very religious they worked in churches their entire life i have a lot of random church knowledge for you if you ever need it no worries i got you well i mean i grew up in a religion that most people don't grow up in so what are you the seven day Adventist. oh yeah you've told me that before mm-hmm um, also, both Corey and I studied religious studies in college. Yeah, y'all are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a good class and you should take it, but I took two of them. Woo. Probably goes there. It it goes a lot of places. <laughs> it goes a lot of places. When I looked at my syllabus and one day it told me to bring the Bible to class, I was like, ah, God damn it. I don't know what I was thinking, but yikes. <laughs> also, God damn it. Oh, oops. Yeah, I didn't say it. Well, no, I did curse one time in class, though, and I got banished from the class. And they used the term banished. Of course they did. <laughs> this was at IU, and they banished me. Well, okay. So after this whole event took place and he described what he saw on the battlefield, there was a loud sound that rang out through the area. It sounded almost like a gunshot. But there was no reason for the sound and no one could find where the sound came from. There were mentions of lights flickering or even going out after the event. But overall, no one had solutions for any of the weird things that were happening. According to Bodern and Halloran. Halloran. Ah, I pronounced it the <laughs> other way. Halloran. The strange occurrences and behavior ceased after that. It's as if Roland was normal. Roland went home days later, and his family watched to see if there were any signs of possession or the possession returning, but he began to live a normal life, and things were back to the way they always were. During August of 1949, an article in the Washington Post was written about the exorcism. It was not very detailed, all the names were removed, but it was the first shocking story that anyone had heard of it. So the reason people felt that the story was so credible was the fact that no one was trying to capitalize on it. No one wanted to specifically talk about it. They weren't trying to make money from it. No one would mention the names. This really does add a lot of credibility to stories like this because you have things like, uh, oh, golly gee willikers, what are their names? <laughs> um, the uh, All I can think of is Lorena Bobbitt, the dude who bit her husband's dick off. I don't know why that's, what? The, that's the only thing I can think of right now. I don't know why she's on my mind, but she is. What are you what are you trying to think of? I don't know. Like people that have just been the people that bought the Amityville house. Oh. People trying to get clout. Is that what they did? Did they buy the Amityville house? I'm actually not sure if any of the things I'm saying right now are accurate. I know what I'm trying to think of, but I can't think of what I'm trying to say. Okay. So just you can do it. You know what you're trying to think of, but you can't think of what you're thinking of. <laughs> okay. Here's what I'm trying to talk about. No one was trying to make money or capitalize off it. Unlike like the Lutz families or people like that, where like they 
bought the Amityville house, things like that. And they wanted to make the book and make the movie and things like that because they reported everything. They went to the newspaper, things like that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that makes this more credible because they said, oh, the Amityville house is haunted because there's paranormal activity. We need to talk about it and tell everyone. But really, there was just a crazy murder there. Crazy death stuff. Sure. I'm trying not to give too much away to you. Sorry. <laughs> in 1971, oh, it sounds like I said nine. In 1971, an author by the name of William Peter Blatty penned the best-selling novel called The Exorcist. It was based on the unofficial diary kept by Holleran and Bodern. After the men refused to help him with the books, he asked them to see if they would even be willing to come forward with their stories, and they both said no. Again, lends a little bit of credibility. The book stayed on the bestseller list for over 54 weeks. The movie changed many of the details from the original story. It was actually the priest that asked for this to happen and the family. They said, you know, he's already been through enough. This has been very troubling. We don't need to add to it. So they even asked, could they change the main character in as many ways as possible? So they changed Reagan, the character. They kept the R-themed name, but they changed it to a girl, and they changed the age to a little bit older to make it less scary, actually. The movie takes place entirely in Washington, D.C. in the Georgetown area, which is somewhat true to the life because that's where Roland originally was hospitalized. But remember, they ended up moving, so that's kind of a big difference, but it's not really all that different. They kept the same similarities of the scratches, shouting, spitting, and cursing, just like how Roland had experienced. But the scene of Reagan's head spinning 360 degrees, the green vom, as I mentioned, and the bloody crucifix <laughs> masturbation scene did not happen. I feel like you're now never going to watch that movie since nope. I just said those three things. Never going to watch it. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy movie. <laughs> no, thank you. Following the exorcism, the family did move back to the East Coast. Roland was said to have gotten married and start a family. He supposedly named his first son Michael after the St. Michael that helped him. Because uh, he believed that person saved his soul. Or, I mean, sorry, that archangel saved his soul. If Roland is still alive today, he would be in his mid-80s. So, if, you know, he's prospering, he's still alive, potentially. The Reverend William Bodern did die in 1983 after serving the Catholic Church for many decades. Walter Holleran lived until 2005, where he ended up dying of cancer. He was the last surviving member of the team that performed the exorcism of Roland Doe. After the St. Louis exorcism, the room in the Alexian Brothers Hospital was boarded up and sealed. But the entire facility was actually torn down in 1978. The house where the family lived in Maryland is an empty lot because it was abandoned in the 1960s, so they ended up demolishing it. In 1993, author Thomas B. Allen wrote a book about Roland Doe's exorcism called Possessed. In the book, he writes heavily uh, about Holleran's detailed account. Allen claims to have uncovered the true identity and the story of Roland Doe, but that he will never reveal the person's true name because if we aren't supposed to know it, we shouldn't know it. They just want to move on. like Which no one knows for sure if that's true or not, but he's claiming it. I feel like someone has to know somewhere. Oh, you go through that type of trauma, you're just, you just want to move on. Like You want to forget about it. 
Yeah, but I, I feel like there's no way that people don't know because people worked at the hospital. People worked in the church. They probably had to buy things. They had to get things. They Well, and they saw there were just like many witnesses to everything that was happening beforehand, too. If a random kid in your school had had stuff happen and then all of a sudden you hear about him moving and stuff, you're going to know. And then you're going to hear about the story years later. There yeah. are too many people that would have known things. Yeah. Um. So I feel like people did know, but they're being respectful if they do. Or maybe the truth is his real name was Roland Doe and they said, oh, he changed his name and they're throwing us all off. And then he never did. And he never did. Plot twist. The Roanoke Drive home ended up selling in 2005 for $165,000. And it's really cute. I feel like it should be worth way more. So the movie was based a lot on the story, but it's also another story. I'm not oh. going to tell you a whole other story, Kylie. Do not panic. I think I know it. What do you think it is? Please. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Did you see me typing Annalise though earlier? Is that why you say that? No. Oh, because we're going to talk about Annalise. I listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it has elements of the London possessions of 1634. That's that's such a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like a real number. You no, know? it doesn't. We're like, wait a second. You said 16. <laughs> I feel like humans weren't alive. I mean, I get it. They were. Humans were definitely. But like, that does not sound like a time right. humans were alive. Yeah. Like there's cavemen or something. Right. These possessions had stories of convulsions, blasphemy, and sexual acts towards the priest, which is potentially where they got those other themes, the crucifixions, uh, masturbation scene, etc. In this story, it was the nuns that were possessed, and there was an attempt to exorcise the demons, but the reverend who tried ended up being imprisoned and tortured. After the events, there was a trial, but it was dismissed as devil's work, and multiple people were just burned at the stake. Okay. So they dismiss the case, but they're like, you know, this is a lot we're of paperwork. We're still going to burn it. We're just, we're just going to get rid of the whole lot of you. The one girl being like, I literally just joined the covenant last weekend. The fuck? Like, come on. <laughs> this is not my doing. So there was a professional diagnosis way after the event happened that could have potentially explained what happened to Roland. Some medical professionals say he was suffering for from... Temporal lobe seizures, which are the part that process emotion and they are important for short-term memory. These seizures also are related to euphoria, fear, or deja vu. They can also impair your awareness. And sometimes you might look awake but appear unresponsive, almost like how he was in that trance state. So in that case, he would have had to inflict all of those. Yes. The cause of these seizures are unknown, but they can be treated with medication if correctly diagnosed. So the theories are the biggest thing that keeps this story circulating, I feel like. There's the theory of, was this child abuse? And this is where we'll bring up Annalise. So the story of Annalise, we're not going to get into that right now, but just a short little two-sentence blurb for you. Happened in Germany back in 1976. A girl died at 23 years old after having 67 exorcisms. She was deemed to be, do not 100% quote me, but I want to say she was like 5'5 five, five and she weighed 80 pounds, I think it was, or maybe a little less. She was very, very tiny. She ended up dying of malnutrition and dehydration while being strapped to the bed. What happened in the end was her parents and the priest that performed the exorcisms 
were all put on trial and they got an original sentence that I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but it ended up being dropped to something even smaller. I'm going to give you fake examples. It was something like they were supposed to be in jail for like three years and it got dropped down to like 400 hours of probation or something. Yeah, it was something like that. It was like really just stupid either way, neither. Okay, whatever. But in that sense, the reason why it was brought into the light was because they said that since Annalise had died of starvation and dehydration, it was actually a case of malnutrition and child neglect and child abuse. Except she's not a child. So she that's was not a child, debate. but she had a childlike mentality state because of all this happening to her, mm-hmm. supposedly. So... That's where the Annalise thing comes into this and it becomes a little messy. Um, We could always cover that case someday. There are a lot of really gnarly exorcism cases. There's one I specifically really want to get to later called the Michael Taylor uh, exorcism. There's a lot of famous ones, though. Well, with the Annalise theory, you have to think she is 23, so she was an adult. In this case, Roland was 13. So if something more would have happened to him and stuff, it probably would have been child neglect, things like that. But um, I feel like his family was so supportive. Yeah, Yeah, they just tried absolutely everything. So that's why I think people are like child abuse, technically not child neglect, I guess. But it's not like his family was like, do they think that the family was causing the scars and stuff? I don't understand how this just is like, child abuse, technically. Yeah, because he's in, like, a state where he can't actually, like, say where what he's feeling as an independent human being because he's under this, like, trance or state. So, in that case, like, you would medically... I mean, I guess, like, today you'd have, like, a... um, Like, a power of attorney. Like, you'd have a guardianship. Uh, but then you end up like Britney Spears and then we have to fight for you. <laughs> Uh, sir, seven, seven, what is it called? Server, servant ship. That's not what it's called. I'm making up words now. I don't know. Everyone's screaming the word to me, being like, you mm-hmm. dummy, especially Margie, because Margie's obsessed with Britney Spears and she always makes me watch videos about stuff. And by watch videos, I mean she watches them while I play video games in the background. <laughs> the next theory was. Was he just faking it the whole time? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't see that one. Don't see that one at all. Because they're like, well, you know, maybe he just he was an only child. He needed the attention. There's just too many weird things for this to be faked. I don't know. I don't uh, I don't buy that one. Lastly. Was it a mental illness? But here's the thing. They did try seeking help. Remember, because they asked doctors and psychiatrists in the beginning but he was not diagnosed. Everyone just said he was high strung. He was, you know. What does high strung mean? Like, I guess just. I feel like that's a loose term for like, oh, your kid's ADHD. Yeah. But these are but not. These ADHD. are not. No. How does that make sense at all with what's going on? So, I mean, this could have been a mental illness. Yes, that could be a thing, but not how they're presenting it. And I feel like. I get, 
if this like were, literal mental illness, if this like were a mental brain. illness, I would think it is severe schizophrenia to the point of needing to be hospitalized for almost his entire life or needing the severe amounts of medication to fix said problem. Right. But also to the point where he's okay with self-harming that much to where he got to this stage of being able to cut himself, hurt himself, harm himself. Well, and also like all of these things are happening and they're finding all of these like quote signs on his body like you would think that someone would always be there watching him no matter what and if the the people are there every night and then his family are usually there during the day but also for part of this he was at home his family he had his grandma living with him things like that i just i got feelings (laughs) (laughs) so that's i mean our take on it and that's the whole thing that's the shebang guys that's the shebang so you know you you have a lot of different things you could say that this is but overall it's more just i guess do you believe in it or not which definitely let us know what you think because i think personally you can be non-religious or Mm -hmm. be religious and still believe or not believe Mm -hmm. so people sometimes are like well I, i don't believe in religion so that's where this gets messy no 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 you could believe in stuff so that's that's where i think this gets a little muddy and people don't know where to fall and so they're just like well we gotta admit he's faking it because we don't believe because that's the like scientific yeah it's an easier solution yeah everyone needs to be more like a what's what's my man's name bold 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 bob the fuck is his name yeah it's gone for me all of a sudden i've said it nine bodern bodern <laughs> bodern everyone needs to be like bodern be open-minded yeah. well guys hopefully we didn't scare the bejesus out of you tonight it wasn't as bad as i thought it was i still, told you it was not that bad. i don't i don't we'll like watch it. the movie no we will not i'll cut out the vom scene absolutely not <laughs> okay guys one one like and Kylie will watch the movie. Absolutely not. <laughs> I will not. She's like, I'm not even going to publish this episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was supposed to be uploaded today. Oh, Whoops, I just re-uploaded. I de- nope, I deleted it. <laughs> I, I actually just uploaded uh, nothing. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to hit you up on the next one. We are really excited to start giving you more content we've been trying to keep up with our once a week we got a surprise coming up for you soon though so maybe that'll intrigue you to keep listening next episode we have coming up actually will be a semi local case we're uh throwing it to our our home state here for you so we're doing something an indiana based stick around <laughs> We want to give our big shout outs. Thank you to Damon Volkovsky for our theme song. Our photograph of our latest images is from Lunar Lux on Instagram. Artwork by Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. Editing by our forever favorite man, core.media.photography on Instagram. Also my boo. I just had to. <laughs> also my my friend. Still my boo. <laughs> All of you guys are a huge part of the Cryptic Soup fam, and we are so thankful for you. You want to know how you can become a member of the Cryptic Soup fam? Leave a review and a rating on the Apple podcast, friend. We'll uh, give you a shout out soon. They are not loading for us currently, 
They're telling yeah, us we're trying we to have figure them, that out. but we can't get them. So get, give us a few days. We did not forget about you. We still love you. You don't have Apple. That's okay. We can still give you a shout out if you let us know. Tell us how much you love us. Slide into those DMs. <laughs> oh, you didn't say your typical thing. Sorry. Slide into those Instagram DMs. Nah, the, the moment's over. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Follow the Instagram cryptic soup pod like Kylie always throws out. The DMs are open. <laughs> Hit us up. Remember to subscribe, follow, tune in, keep up with us. We'll see you on the next episode next Tuesday, guys. Stay tuned. Don't get exercise. Don't go exercise either. Exercising kills. That's horrible. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> no, I'm I'm singing a song. I'm singing. This is Halloween. This oh, no. is Halloween. 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 Do, 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 do. In this town we call home, everyone hails to the funky song. In this town, we love it now. <laughs> I really hope Gory does not because I will hate him forever. Uh, it's just really stuck in my song, my song, my head. God. <laughs>